Good morning, and we welcome to the program for the first time Rick Hurdle, the prosecuting attorney in Ripley County. And uh, good morning to you, Rick. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, and of course, uh, you know, people uh, think of the prosecutor, and uh, you got a uh, kind of a tough job, but uh, and it's um, a lot of high profile work, as it were, and um, none more than uh, the recent. Uh, verdict in which uh, Jordan Knutson was uh, convicted of uh, killing his ex-girlfriend. And can you kind of uh, walk us through that just a little bit and uh, uh, give your thoughts on uh, how that transpired? Sure. So uh, the uh, the crime actually happened uh, in January of uh, 2021, and uh, it took some time for the uh, state police to, uh, to handle the investigation. It was uh, rather complex and uh, initially not a lot of uh, evidence uh, in the matter and uh, I think the uh, the pursuit of that and the uh, filing of the criminal charges later in March uh, kind of got the ball rolling as far as the uh, the legal proceedings and involving the criminal justice uh, system but then it was kind of just piecing together the uh, the evidence over the uh, next <clears throat> probably 15 months or so with a, with a few delays throughout that um, had a number of witnesses um, probably in my tenure as prosecutor was probably the most complex case uh, and the most what we term as expert witnesses. We had fingerprints, we had uh, firearms, we had cell phone mapping, we had cell phone dumps, we had uh, an expert from uh, Remington Arms testify. So there was just a number of, we had a pathologist from uh, the Hamilton County uh, Cincinnati uh, pathologist uh, office in the morgue. So it was a uh, a lot of uh, complex issues, but uh, in, in a circumstantial evidence case that was uh, able to be put together with a lot of help and assistance from uh, from significant uh, professionals in the uh, the system. And uh, can you give us a little bit, uh, the, just as a yeah, refresher, uh, you know what what had happened in uh, January of uh, 2021 in this uh, residence near in the Holton area. So what happened was it was a a bit of an escalation or a. Uh, an increasing of violence between uh, two individuals um, that had gone on for a period of time, especially during the month of December preceding uh, Chrissy Jones' death, um, the escalation of violence uh, with the defendant, Jordan Knudsen, that uh, resulted in a protective order gotten, a visit to uh, the Jennings County Hospital by Chrissy Jones, um, an attempt to get her away from Jordan Knudsen by her father, um, terrible text messages, terrible Facebook posts about her that were threatening and intimidating in nature, uh, burning her clothes. A, a, I don't want to say textbook because I think that doesn't give it its true worth, but uh, a domestic vi- violence relationship that uh, you know just continued to build and build. Then ultimately, with uh, with Chrissy's death, which is the absolute worst possible scenario for for her family and for uh, everyone involved. And of course, um, it took a while for uh, to uh, jury selection to begin. A uh, number of uh, legal filings in the case, and then uh, uh, once you got into the courtroom, uh, you got through the uh, opening statements, and uh, defense attorneys uh, did theirs, and then you get into the testimony. And I understand you called what twenty plus witnesses to the stand on behalf of the state. Yeah, again, it kind of goes back to what we what we talked about a little bit before that the uh, the, the complex nature of the of the case and the limited evidence that we we did have that it was a purely uh, circumstantial case and and no direct evidence. So we we did have uh, over twenty witnesses and over one hundred and thirty items of uh, of evidence that that were used uh, 
in the matter that were admitted uh, ultimately at trial. But, uh, you know, the the legal filings from the defense, uh, there was a change of venue requested early on, which was denied. And we did manage to pick a jury in a, a full day. Uh, we had 12 jurors and then the uh, the three alternates in the case. So um, it, it did appear that there was some knowledge of the case in the county, but uh, not enough to um, require a, a change of venue from the judge. Now, you mentioned the um, lack of direct evidence. Um, uh, so was that... Uh is that what uh, really complicated the case? The fact that uh, there was nothing uh, is more of a circumstantial, and that's what uh, kind of made it, uh, yeah, your job more tough uh, being prosecuted with uh, having the burden of proof. I, I think that's probably probably the case. Um, I, I think as as a prosecutor, we we always want as much evidence as we can to to prove up a case, and we'd love to have direct evidence and circumstantial evidence, but it just wasn't present here. And it kind of goes back a little bit to the theme of the case that we were talking about, that when there is something terrible like this or a murder, the person that controls the actual scene and what evidence is left behind or what witnesses there are is left to the person who does the uh, the crime, who commits the crime, who kills someone. And they're the ones that control where the evidence goes, where it doesn't go, and whether or not there's a, another witness there, not a witness there. So these things are uh, controlled by uh, by that person and not by law enforcement or by the prosecutor or anybody else. All right, and then you get the, the jury picked um, early on in the week, and then uh, you go through the testimony and everything, and then um, and then you get to, get to the um, uh, closing arguments phase on uh, the following Monday after it starts, and then um, the jury gets their instructions, and uh, it was, what, uh, less than three hours uh, before they came back with the, uh, with the verdict? That, that's right. Um, so we finished our case on Friday morning, the Friday before, and the defense then called a couple of witnesses Friday afternoon that did include the defendant. The de- defendant did testify on his own behalf, and uh, he was probably on the witness stand probably two to three hours. And then at, at that point in time, we're probably late into the afternoon on Friday, and the judge decides let's move closing arguments to uh, to Monday morning and give the uh, the jury and the uh, the parties, both defense and prosecution, time to kind of get their summation and their closing arguments together. And so that's what we did on Monday. That was the only um, jury instructions and the closing argument were really the only things that we handled on Monday. And then, uh, of course, they came back with the verdict. And um, obviously that uh, you're happy to see justice uh, in this case uh, come through. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I... I I look to is is there a uh, a sense of justice for the family and they can start a healing process for that. You know, I think this is a a step, but whether or not it it, it goes beyond that and helps them down the road, I, th- I think it does help them. But I think it also um, uh, it's a wound that's probably never going to fully close, or it, if it is, there's certainly going to be a, a scar and very difficult memories for the family. And you know, over those fifteen months. You know, the deputy prosecutors, Shane Tucker and Ray Lurson, that tried the case with me, we got to be very close to the family and spent a lot of time with them talking about some of the obstacles and hurdles that we uh, were going to have to deal with as trial gets closer. And also that the family had to hear some very, very awful things that, that had happened to their daughter or their sister, um, uh, their ex-wife, and uh friend or cousin um, about the way that that she died and and it was it was a hard thing for them to see 
some of the the photographs and the the autopsy and uh you know no family should ever have to kind of go through that but but they didn't choose this and i'm sure also uh you know text and social media i mean that that's that's tough enough let alone hearing uh, some of the um some of the inside uh, baseball if you will and also uh, autopsy photos right it, it is i mean i think the uh the text messages and the Facebook posts were were things that were difficult for them to hear, and, and what kind of relationship the uh, the deceased and uh, and Jordan Knudsen had, and what kind of a threatening and intimidating nature it was. But uh, the realization of it unfolding in a courtroom, and then seeing uh, things on a on a video screen or on a poster board of uh, cause of death and the injuries that that, that Chrissy Jones had and uh it, it was a uh, a toll on on the family yeah and then there was a uh, was a um, uh was it a uh, shotgun or was it a uh, a pistol what kind of weapon was used so it was a it was a 410 gauge shotgun and uh you know the cause of death uh as described by the pathologist in her testimony was that uh she had two shots to her mouth and face area and one to her um upper temple area so three shots with a uh, a 410 gauge shotgun all right and then of course uh, sentencing in the late june in ripley circuit court um and again he faces uh, 45 to 65 years in prison again jordan knutson when he's sentenced for the uh, killing of uh, chrissy jones and uh, with that we're gonna go ahead and take a quick time out we'll continue our conversation with ripley county prosecutor rick hurdle right after this Don't adjust your radio. The sound that you hear is your stomach. You're having trouble focusing. You can't recall your last meal. You're trapped in the hunger zone. The solution, Batesville to go. Let to go deliver a hot, fresh meal to your home or office whenever hunger strikes. To go delivers the best food from local restaurants. Visit us online at togodelivers.com or call us at 812-727-8800. Batesville to go. Big city convenience, small town taste. And welcome back as we continue our conversation with Ripley County Prosecutor Rick Hurdle. And another high-profile case, Rick, was uh, Nicholas Ketchowitz. I mean, this this was a case that uh, carried on for quite a few years. But uh, if you can kind of walk us through that. Sure. So the uh, the case of uh, Nick Ketchowitz was a uh, – he was 13 at the time, and uh, he killed two of his siblings um, – about approximately 80 days apart in an, in an Osgood home, both really by the same cause and means of death by uh, smothering them with a towel or a blanket. Um, and so the, the legal process was, uh, was very prolonged because he was only 13 at the time and he had some, um, some mental issues and the judge had to make some rulings on whether he was actually competent to stand trial and then ultimately he did have to decide whether he was going to waive him to adult court. And so there were many psychiatrists and psychologists that testified and gave opinions as to both of those things before the judge ultimately made a ruling. And then there were some delays in there with um, with COVID as well. But uh, it was a, a prolonged uh, process to actually get to a, a trial, which took place in, a, in adult court and uh, – you know, the uh, it was a it was a difficult task because the uh, the individual that uh, committed these crimes was 13 at the time, and that uh, that did complicate things in order to ultimately get to the uh, the trial in adult court. And of course, and then uh, convicted, and then um, of course these uh, incidents happened in uh, 2017, as you said, 80 days apart, and. Uh, 
And uh, he was uh, eligible for anywhere from 45 to 65 years and not eligible for the death penalty because of his age. Now, uh, when someone, when we uh, uh, put out the information that someone's uh, 45 to 65 in this case and also in uh, Jordan Knudsen's case, and people are asking, well, why isn't the death penalty on the table? Well, uh, Kedrowitz's case, we know why, but why wasn't it on in Knudsen's case? So there's certain um, legal requirements uh, that are prescribed by the Indiana Code when the death penalty is actually uh, when someone is eligible for the crimes that they commit. And uh, Jordan Knudsen's uh, case did, did not meet those qualifications either. It's, it's, it's a fairly... Um, uh, I wouldn't say ex- it's not an exhaustive list, but there are certain circumstances that it does apply, and in neither one of these circumstances uh, did it apply. And, and early on, uh, we, we made that determination, and so the, uh, the decision was made to move forward then uh, with, the, uh, with the murder charge, which, uh, as you said, carries a, a sentence of 45 to 65 years. And uh, getting back to the uh, Kedrowitz case, um, and again, a, a refresher, why did he... Uh, say that he uh, committed these crimes there was um some uh differing op- opinions because he gave a lot of statements to uh different people including family members including law enforcement uh you know there was some discussion whether or not, whether he was freeing them from some of the uh issues that he had uh, his chores growing up taking care of the kids uh the impression that he led a a, a very difficult life for a 13 year old uh, so that he was freeing them from any chance of them following in similar footsteps. Um, so I, I think that was the reasoning of it. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to sometimes get in the head of, of, of somebody like a Jordan Knutson or like a Nicholas Kedrowitz. And in Indiana, we don't have to prove motive of why somebody did it. But I think jurors as well as the public want to know. But Honestly, sometimes we, we, we just don't know the full answer, and uh, we, we can speculate and we can see what he told police officers um, along the way and some of the other family members, but, uh, you know, some things we may never know the full reasoning behind it. So, uh, I mean, does that uh, mean, um, were there uh, confirmed cases of maybe abuse in Nick Kedrowitz growing up, or was this just something that he just formulated, you think, in his head? Um, th- there were some things that uh, um, were discussed in, in, in the investigation, uh, but ultimately at trial, th- those were uh, not issues that were before a, a jury. And so the, the, uh, the jury was, was not um, able to, to kind of factor those things in, uh, the, the circumstances of, of how he killed them and the statements that he made to police officers and the evidence that was collected or, or what was before that jury and, and determinations about some of his his past uh, w- was not necessarily uh, all admissible and in front of the jury. All right. And then, of course, he was sentenced to um, 100 years in prison, uh, a total of 100 years, 50 uh, on each count. And uh, so, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, that uh, was taken care of. And uh, once uh once that sentence was handed down, uh, what thoughts did you, came through your mind, Rick? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we look at this, that there was a, a tragedy with uh, the two children that he killed. But, uh, you know, with respect to uh, the defendant, Nicholas Kedrowitz, too, you know, he is looking at basically the rest of his life in prison. And so I think uh, the, the tragedy extends to that as well. But, 
in the same breath as as prosecuting attorney in, in, in this county, I, th- I think there's a, a responsibility uh, for accountability um, to hold someone's feet to the fire for such a heinous crime, and in this case, two heinous crimes when there's two um, two children that died, both both of whom could not protect themselves really from anybody, and especially their uh, their older brother. And then uh, shifting gears here, um, I'd like to get a, a little bit about uh, your background, Rick, uh, and uh, also uh, what inspired you to practice law? Um, well, I think a, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I, I did some criminal defense work uh, early on in my career and worked at a general practice in Batesville and, and, and kind of saw a variety of different types of law, anywhere from family law to criminal defense to some contract work. And then uh, my my attention sort of shifted, and I knew that my draw was kind of a law enforcement area, and uh, prosecuting attorney was was the right fit. And uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get elected at a, at a fairly young age, and uh, I, I kind of fell in love with the uh, the job early on. And while it does have its ups and downs, the fire burned pretty bright inside uh, early on in my career, and you know now. Uh, so much later and, you know, 20, 23 years later, I think the fire still burns and the Nicholas Kedrowitz and the Jordan Knudsen and uh, other criminal cases and the uh, the wrongs in an attempt to maybe right some of those um, or provide some solace or some justice to, uh, to some families that have uh, gone through a, a very, very traumatic experience in an effort maybe to kind of protect the community where I'm probably going to... Uh, uh, spend uh, my retirement and uh, whenever that happens and uh, my uh, uh, later years here, I, I feel like uh, an a- attempt to make a difference here is uh, is always a good kind of thing in, in my mind. And of course, you're up for re-election this year, uh, as of right now, unopposed until at least the general. Uh, but um, and you stated that at a, a recent uh, Ripley County uh, Republican candidates uh, forum that uh, you, you brought that phrase up, the fire still burns. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I believe uh, that the, the job as prosecuting attorney and the deputy prosecutors in my office is 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 way too important. And 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 when uh, the fire stops burning, is is time to kind of to pack it in because it's not fair to uh, the community. It's not fair to victims of crime uh, or really to the system to kind of just not uh, put everything that I have behind it. I, that, that's really not my wiring anyway. Uh, I, I, I have difficulty doing things uh, uh, in a uh, non-100% way. Or, uh, or I always tell my deputies, uh, hey, don't, don't mail this in. Um, you know, it's important. And uh, what you do every day, whether it's a misdemeanor, whether it's a felony, whether it's a murder or whatever, um, it matters. And uh, it matters to the community. It matters to law enforcement. And uh, I, I think it's a torch that uh, the kind of we have to carry. And, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. The occupation isn't. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like I said, when that torch goes out, it's, it's time to, to move on to something else. And as far as you mentioned your uh, chief deputies, uh, we want to recognize them and uh, maybe some of your office staff while you uh, have the opportunity. Yeah, I think with uh, the Kedrowitz case, uh, it was uh, Ryan Marshall and, and Ray Lurson. And, uh, you know, it was it was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, like you said, it was a, uh, a long procedure dealing with 
doctors and uh, opinions and things like that and expert witnesses from Virginia where we're driving there to do depositions and uh, the state police kind of stood with us through it all um, and we kind of divided up some of the witnesses at, at trial um, trying to break things up a little bit uh, so the burden doesn't fall necessarily on on one more than the other and then the uh, the Ket, uh, the Knudsen trial uh, it was Shane Tucker and, and Ray Larson again and uh, there were just so many witnesses, and I don't think that we, I know that I could not have done all the witnesses alone, and, and they were doing some heavy lifting, too, with, with Shane doing the pathologist and the investigating officer and the CSI, and then Ray doing the uh, the cell phone mapping and the cell phone dumping, and these these are uh, very complex issues that they were doing, and it's, it's something that I was involved in, but I didn't have to... Uh, to carry the weight, and then I spent my time on on some of the other experts, such as documents and fingerprints and firearms and things like that. So, um, I think the credit should be distributed around the office with uh, with Ryan Marshall and Ray Larson in the first, and then secondly in the uh, um, Knutes and with Tucker and uh, and Ray Larson again. Um, now, I will I will say too that the past three or four years seem to be an uptick in kind of significant things. Um, while these two murders are, are obviously at the forefront of everybody's thoughts, um, my office has also done uh, four officer-involved shootings, um, one in South Bend, one in Dearborn County, and then two in Ripley County. And in those circumstances, four, four people lost their lives also. And uh, the, the office and those deputies that work with me spent hours and hours working through... Um, the investigations on those to ultimately reach conclusions and sets of findings to be distributed publicly and what exactly happened. Um, so I, I think those those things should not go unnoticed too because those are big deals as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we probably uh, delve into those uh, at some future time. But uh, uh, Rick Hurdle, Ripley County Prosecuting Attorney, we appreciate your time uh, this morning and uh, thank you for joining us and. Hopefully uh, we can have you on again sometime. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you for the questions.